15, if you will. We got down to verse 33 last time, and uh, I want to pick up with verse 33, talk about it, and then depending on how long that takes me, we may introduce chapter 16, okay? Um, but uh, at least get chapter 16 underway. Uh, if you look here at verse uh, 33, Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. And again, now, Paul has, we're, we're, we're conclude, he's trying to conclude the book. And he, based on 15 chapters of doctrine and based on understanding those foundational doctrines, not only doctrines revealed, but doctrines learned. Do, doctrine revealed is, here it is, there you go. But doctrines learned is, I've learned it, I'm putting it in and I'm applying it to the details of life. So you have two separate you know, issues there. But as he's concluding the book here, verse 30, Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake, and for the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Then he lists the issues to pray for that I may be delivered from them that do believe, do not believe in Judea. And we looked last time back in Acts how that was accomplished. How was he delivered from them? Well, the captain of the guard came and rescued him. And again, prayer, <laughs> we have an idea of how prayer ought to be answered. So the question is, is, well, did God answer the prayer? Well, yes, but not the way Paul was thinking or hoping, you know. Sometimes I think we have an idea of prayer of a big genie in the sky, and if we rub him enough, he'll just give us what we want. Or the vending machine and drop enough faith quarters in, we're good to go. And yet the word of God is the answer to prayer. And he said unto me, that's the answer. Well, what does he say? Let's get in the book and find out. And a lot of times it's not exactly how we thought it ought to be answered, you know. I pray for a new car about every other day. You, you notice how you go by the car dealers and the potholes are right out front, you know? Uh, there's a couple like that. And people, oh, man, this brand-new truck's sounding old. i got to go get a new one, you know? Well, he's not going to do that. He's not going to say, here's a, new, here's a new car, you know? Buy Chevy. Don't buy Ford. And then for some of you, buy Toyota. Don't buy anything, you know? And, and no, he doesn't do that at all, okay? And so what Paul says, hey, I, I beseech you, language of grace, pray for me. Pray that I'll be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. Why? Why is he in Judea? Well, because he's taking the poor saints, the financial aid to the poor saints. Then he comes in and says, and that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints. And it was accepted. James takes it. James there in, 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 Acts, in, in Acts, he's the, the leader of the Jerusalem church. He takes it, and he's glad to have it. And then he goes and Paul goes and has all that mess with the temple and so forth, and that's what got him in trouble. That, verse 32, I may come unto you with joy by the will of God and may with you be refreshed. And evidently, that's what happened. He, did, he does get to Rome, but he doesn't get to Rome the way he thought it. He gets to Rome in stocks and bonds. He's bound. He's chained to that, that that's the, 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 the soldier. And he gets there. And by the way, look over at Acts 28 just real quick. 
Acts 27, Paul's in Rome. Okay, Acts 28, uh, he, uh, verse 16. And when he came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoner to the captain of the guard. But Paul was suffered to dwell by himself with the soldier that kept him. And it came to pass that after three days, Paul called the chief of the Jews together. And he, then he delivers them. But notice verse 30. And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came in unto him. Well, what was his prayer in 1532? That you'd come and refresh me. And that you, I would be, that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God and may with you be refreshed. 1532. How did, by the way, remember the Holy Spirit three times? Don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go. Now you're going to Jerusalem. The Lord shows up and says, all right, you see where you're at? Now you're going to go to Rome and speak on, on my behalf. So he's there by what? By the will of God. There he goes. But what was, what was able to happen at the, there at Acts, in Acts 28? They were able to come into him, refresh him, get him excited. Now, he was planning to go to Spain. Obviously, we don't know if he made it there or not because he's let loose. He, he's taken out of house arrest and is able to travel and so forth. But then he says, verse 33, Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. He's trying to conclude the book, and he does it with a title. Okay? He does it with the title, The God of Peace. Now, this is the first title of God that we see in Paul's epistles, okay? He'll use the peace of God, that's different. The peace with God, Romans 5, that's not peace of God. That's not the God of peace. So this title here, Paul is going to educate us here, again, as he's concluding the book, with a title. By the way, this title is used six times. Okay, we're going to go look at them, just so you see. And then the six times that he's using them, Never, ever, 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 ever is the God of peace a reference to you having an easy life. Everybody thinks so. Well, he's a God of peace, so I need to have a peaceable, peaceful life. That's not what the title is a reference to at all. Now, he does desire you to have joy and peace. If you look back at verse 13, what does he say? Now, the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace, but where? And believing. So he, it isn't that he doesn't want you to have a peaceful life, but it's not what this title is talking about. It's, it's the God of peace. Okay? So what Paul is going to begin to talk about here isn't the issues of being free from distress or heartache or opposition. It's, it's rather something much deeper than that. It has nothing to do with you having a peaceful life day by day. That's what you got to remember. So, but now, if by the way, look back at Romans 5, just real quick. 5.1. 5.1. Therefore, being justified by God, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, that's not the God of peace. That's our relationship with who? With Him. Why? Because... Well, 118, the wrath of God was revealed against all ungodliness and, un and those who hold the truth in unrighteousness. What are we in verse 8? We're, or, well, verse 
not six. We were, we're ungodly. Verse 10, we're enemies, see? So we're at odds with Christ until we're justified, and now we have what? Peace with him. So the title, the God of peace, has nothing to do with you having peace with God. It, the peace, uh, it, has not, it has to do with something very, very wonderful here at the end of the book. The God of peace, it has to do with something that God has provided for the believer. So that when the satanic policy of evil comes, come over to chapter 16, verse 17. Because guess what? It's coming. And that's what chapter 16 is going to do. There's a warning here. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrines which ye have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. When that attack comes, God has provided something wonderful for the believer so that we can stand in the midst of that attack with a relaxed mental attitude. So it has to so the title is connected to what did we what are we learning in the book of Romans? Foundational. We're learning what? The edification process, aren't we? So the God of peace, and by the way, in all six times it's used, is connected with the edification process. And the most important piece that God has intended for you and I is for you and I to have doctrinal stability that protects us from the attack of the adversary, not for you to have an easy life. You, you with me? I'm going slow on purpose to stress it. See, we have this idea that as a Christian, we ought to have an easy life, you know? Sunflowers and sunshine and uh, Tinkerbell. Fairies and fairy dust and rainbows and all that stuff. No, not, that's not what the God of peace, the title, the God of peace is. By the way, that's not even reality anyway, okay? You know what reality is? You heard about the old, the old couple, they're getting ready for bed. And they go, they go into bed, and the wife says, I really want some ice cream. And, the, and the, the husband says, well, I'll go get, but there's none in the house. He goes, well, I'll run to the store quick and get some. So, he, so she says, but you don't know what I want. And she goes, he goes, but all right, well, tell me, and I'll go get it. And she goes, well, you better write this down. He goes, no, just tell me, and I'll go get it. She goes, I want vanilla. Okay, I'll get you some vanilla with chocolate sauce on it. All right, I'll get you some vanilla with chocolate. You better write it down. You're going to mess it up. He goes, no, 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 I get it. Well, I want whipped cream on top with a cherry. He goes, okay, I'm going to go to the store. I'll get you some vanilla ice cream with whipped cream with the cherry with chocolate sauce with whipped cream. And she says, you better write it down. He goes, I got it, honey. I got it. Go, takes off. Comes back a little later. Now, she's already gone to bed. He comes in with the paper bag, hands it to her. She opens it looks in, and there's a ham sandwich. And she says, I told you to write this down. You forgot the mustard. Now, that's life. Not all the other stuff, okay? All right, you work on that, okay? All right, you like that. 
No, you didn't get that over there? Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, wait. You'll get older. You will. Okay. But see, so the, the God of peace, the title, 1533, has nothing to do with you remembering and having an easy go of it. Not at all, okay? Rather, it has to do with the issue of you being properly edified in order to have peace in the attack of the adversary. Now, just notice verse 29, because 33 has a little context here. 39. I'm sorry, 1529, sorry. And I am sure... That when I come unto you, I shall come in the what? The fullness of the blessing of the gospel. Paul knows, as he's writing the book of, to the Romans, that he doesn't have all the information. All the revelation hasn't been given to him. We talked about this last time. But when he gets to get there, what's he going to come? With more revelation, with more fullness, more information. Okay, further edification of the believer. Verse 30, now I what? I beseech you, based on all the doctrines that we've learned in Romans 1 to 15, all that foundation, justification, identification, dispensational settings and everything, and now the application of it, based on all of that now, what? Join me. Get involved here. Verse 33, now the God of peace be with you all, amen. Based on all the doctrine, and again, not doctrine revealed, but what? Doctrine learned. Revealed and learned, two different things. He's made it all known. You know, there's, somebody asked me one time, well, when we get to heaven, will, there, will, will God pull out another book and say, all right, here, now this is the next book? The answer is no. It's all been revealed. We just have to get in and do study, dig a little deep. Have you ever done that? Have you ever noticed you read a passage, and then you come back and read it a couple months later, and you find something you didn't see before, but it's always been there? It's never not been there? Some, you know, the little write-in fairies didn't, or elves didn't come in and write it in when you were sleeping? It's always been there? Somebody asked. We were, I was talking to a guy years ago, and he's like, well, this right division, dispensational stuff, it's just something new. And I go, no, it's always been there. Well, how do you know? Genesis 1-1. Genesis 1-1. Yeah, in the beginning, God created the what? The heaven and the earth. He's a rightly divider in the day one or pre-day one, <laughs> you know. And oh, you know, and it's like no, it's always been there. It's just what we've never, you don't focus, you don't look. Okay, so all of the references that we're going to look at six times, God of peace, has to do with God's capacity through the doctrinal design, His doctrinal design, to provide doctrinal peace from the adversary, from the attack. Okay, so 1533 is number one. Chapter 16, here's number two, verse 20. 1620. And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. There's another amen. He's trying again, once again, to end the book. And he's trying again to end the book with what? The God of peace. Now, when we get over here, we'll spend more time and study out this. But just notice the... The setting of verse 20, 
the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. And, and again, in a couple weeks, I told the folks Wednesday night, I think it was Wednesday night, I told somebody, I might have been just talking to myself, we have great conversations. <laughs> and I always win the argument. Um, but I, I think I've got maybe 12 or 13 more lessons in Romans, maybe. Okay, so we'll get done maybe in June. But the thing of the thing of it is, is when we get down here, we'll spend some time fettering out what the doctrine. What I want you to catch is the context. The context of verse twenty is verse seventeen. What's happening in verse now? I see that now, now again now now I beseech you. See that ter, language of grace. I'm not commanding you. I'm not begging you. I'm just saying based on what you've learned. Now, I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. For your obedience is come, ab come abroad unto all men. And I am glad, therefore, on your behalf, but yet I would have you wise, notice, unto that which is good and simple concerning evil, and the God of peace shall brew. See that issue of, hey, that a, you guys are well known, people are, are know about you guys, and yet what are you gonna, what's coming? There's an attack coming, and because you understand the doctrines learned, the edification process, verse 25, now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began but now is made manifest. Because you understand the edification process, guess what? The God of peace has got you covered. And you've got peace in the, your doctrinal understanding. That thing at the end of verse 19, you would be wise unto that which is good and simple concerning what? Isn't that a wonderful way to say you shouldn't be meddling in the evil? Simple concerning evil. doesn't mean you don't know what it is. It just means you take it, you identify it as evil, and you move away from it. See? Again, the attack. But verse 25, what do you have? Not him that has the power to what? You have stability, don't you? And what? Understanding my gospel, which is, the found, which is Romans, the foundation. And what's coming? The preaching of Jesus Christ according to Revelation of the mystery. He doesn't cover that in Romans. That's covered in Ephesians. So the doctrinal edification process is how you understand that the, the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. Well, what does that mean? We'll get that in a couple weeks, okay? I'm not trying to shortchange it. I want you to catch how that term, the title, God of Peace, is used in its context around it. Okay? And we'll get into verse 20, and I'll rattle your cages or stroke your ego, either way, however you are. Okay? But see, the thing is, is what's, what's stability? By the way, the bruising your Satan under your feet shortly, <laughs> that goes down into what we're going to learn in the book of Thessalonians and eternity out there, and what's happening there. Number three, 2 Corinthians 13. 2 Corinthians 13. Again, just catch 
how the stuff, how the title, the context of the title, 2 Corinthians 13. Now, the thing about Corinth is the Corinthians are babes, they're carnal. That's how they started. They started bad. They started in division. They started all, twi- all busted up. But yet, by the end of 2 Corinthians, they are literally on the path, on the right path. They've turned the corner. They're getting better. They're learning. They're growing. So what he says of them in 1 Corinthians about being carnal and, and so forth, by the end of 2 Corinthians, they are not no longer in that category. They're over here in a mature category. Verse 10. Therefore I write these things, being absent, lest being present I should use sharpness, according to the power which the Lord hath given me, now watch, to what? To edification and not to destruction. Okay? So what Paul's like, everything I've been writing, the two in Scripture plus the other two at least, he wrote them four times, what's he had? He's had to have sharpness, he's had to be on them. But now look at verse 11. Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace shall be with you. See that? Finally. Now, you can take that a couple ways. One, finally, it's over. (laughs) Or, we've reached the goal. And it's not over. Well, life for the Corinthians wasn't over. But what are we? We're reaching the goal. To, we're, here's the goal. What's the goal? The goal is for me to release you at Corinth, you, church, the body of Christ, to somewhat maturity. What did he say? Be perfect. Mature. Paul understood that the word of God, the edification process, the design was to take you from milk to meet. That's the design, to move you from here to there. The design of it was for them to come over and to learn, get the doctrine, learn it. That's why he ends verse 11, giving me to edification. You learn the doctrine, and what's the doctrine going to do? It's going to edify you. It's going to bring you to maturity. Be perfect. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. Think about that. All of that is mature language. All that comes from them spiritually functioning as adults now. And the God of peace, the of God of love and peace shall be with you. So the God of peace is connected to the edification process, which is designed to bring some spiritual maturity in your life. And the Corinthians needed that above all. And he works it through. I hope you see that. Because that's what he's doing in Romans when he introduces the title for the first time, and the God of peace be with you. Come over to Philippians 4. Number next. Number 4. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4, verse 7. Philippians 4, verse 7. And the, God, and the peace of God. Now, that's not God of peace. That's what? Peace of God. That's His peace. And the peace of God, 
which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have, I, I love that, think on these things. All right? So what is verse, what are the things of verse 8? Who is the things of verse 8? Right? That's always the question. Who, what are we talking about? What's verse 8? How about verse 9? Those things. Well, what things? The things that he just told you to think on. See? Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the, isn't that interesting? The God of peace. Not the peace of God. Again, he's not after you having an easy life. That's not what the God of peace is about. How do I have the peace of God? I come over here and I let the God of peace do what? Work in my inner man through the edification process. Everything in that list in verse 8 is talking about the Lord, who we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. Or it's talking about who, Paul's epistles. And you go study that out and you search it out. And the wonderful thing is, is actually what verse 9 says is the answer to the question of what are the things in verse 8. The things that you what? You learned of me. You see me do. What are you going to do? You're going to grow up. When we do, where do, again, where do we find the truth? Paul's epistles. We find the truth, we go there, and we do that. See? Okay? Again, God of peace is not connected with you having a peace, uh, an easy living. It's with him saying, I've got the edification design, the edification process in place that will help you when the attack comes, helps you in the details of life. By the way, if you look at verse 6, be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Again, the language of grace. Let your requests be made known unto God. And what's going to happen? The peace of God, His peace, coming through you, talking to the Father about the details of life and how to take His Word and apply it to those details. That peace that's there comes in. Keeps your hearts and minds. There's your, there's your hearts, you, the mentality of your soul, your mind, the mentality of your spirit. Keep it. Why? Because the God of peace has established an edification process with the design to do that. Okay? Not easy living. Not all bills paid. Not all the, you know, again, tinkerbells and fairy dust and unicorns and rainbows. Not any of that. Okay, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, number 5. I read that thing in, there in Philippians 4, verse 6, prayer. That's the broad, you know, supplication. That's a very specific need, but it's with thanksgiving. By the way, that is not thank you for the day, Lord. Thank you for the sun coming up. Thank you for... That's not, it, it's being thankful for what he's done for you. See, it's in the doctrine. You don't get that from reading a 
Yehu book. You get that from reading the book. Here's the doctrine. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The whole, the one who designed the whole of it. <laughs> he says, look, guys, the God of peace, he's designed, sanctify you wholly, whole, the whole of it. Sanctify, set it apart. Here's, here's the design. Here's what you were created for. Here's why we're doing what we're doing. And the edification process teaches you that. You start in Romans, you build in through Ephesians, and you build in through Thessalonians. It's What's it going to do? It's going to, I love that, be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's fantastic. Blameless. Look, look back at chapter 3. I, I think about that because what, what are, who are you? I mean, you go to Ephesians 1 and you read down all through those spiritual blessings. Look back there, quick. Ephesians 1. Well, don't go quick. We've got plenty of time. Go slow. <laughs> we don't have to go slow. Look at Ephesians 1. Look at verse 4. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and what? Without blame before him in love. Isn't that interesting? What's your current status? Holy and without blame. That's what you are. We need to bring that into our reality. Now, don't go around with your chest puffed out that you're holier than thou's. But you have that in the, in the what? In the security of your thinking. In the mindset. So then when life does pull the rug out from underneath you, you're not going, oh my goodness, what is God trying to teach me? He ain't teaching you nothing. Life just hits you upside the head. So I have a way of processing that information, thinking about it. Look over at chapter 5. Chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives. Verse 25, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Verse 27, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Now, that's a great verse that gives us great detail about the condition of the church after the judgment seat of Christ. But notice, you're already through that. You're already there. You've already been, well, I'm just beginning to live my life. Yeah, you are, but in his mind, Again, Romans 4, you remember the verse? Maybe not. Romans 4, the end of verse 17, Who quickeneth the dead, uh, even God who quickeneth the dead, and hath calleth those things which be not as though they were. In his mind, you are already there. But in your reality, where are you? Uh, down here in, this, in, the, in, the, in the slug, in the gutter. But in his mind... So what do you need to do? You need to change your thinking about where you're at. Now, yeah, you're living where you live, and you got to deal with that. But you deal with it with what? That mindset of the God of peace. The edification process, understanding who I am, understanding all of the nuances, learning that. 
now I can come and look over here, come back there to 1 Thessalonians 3, and I can sit there and say, look, I, you know what I am? I am holy and without blemish. I am blameless. Before who? Before God. So then my mindset about the details of life then need to be such. 1 Thessalonians 3, I, I love verse 13. To the end, he may establish your heart's unblameable in holiness before God. <laughs> What's the goal in the end? After you go through the judgment seat of Christ, what's the goal here? What's the goal of it? That when He takes you, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all His saints, that's you, that's Ephesians 5.27. When He takes you, you go through the judgment seat, He takes you and presents you to the Father. Could you imagine the Lord Jesus Christ, the head of the body, walks in and says, Okay, Dad, here's my body. What a wonderful, glorious day that's going to be. Not, oh, no, I'm sorry. No, it's going to be wonderful. And what are you? You're unblameable in what, though? In holiness. Holiness. Set apart. That's, here's what you're here for. And the Father says, good job, son. They're looking really good. And the Father does his job. You see, 1 Thessalonians 5.23, the whole of it, the one who designed the whole thing, the one who designed this peace that we have through the doctrinal edification process. Again, not peace in life. You win the Powerball, you think you're going to have peace, you ain't going to have peace. Okay? You're not. You'll have more struggles than you know what to... I'd, again, I would like to try it, so don't... Don't not help me out here, okay? <laughs> All right? I will remember to bring you vanilla ice cream with chocolate sauce and whipped cream and a cherry on top. All right? I, okay? I'm not saying I don't want to try it, but again, what happens? You all of a sudden have aunts and uncles and cousins and nephews and nieces you knew nothing about. Why? Because of the, of the false. So there's the five. The sixth one is in Hebrews. Come over to Hebrews 13. And this is the last one. Obviously, Paul doesn't write Hebrews. Uh, God wrote Hebrews. Um, my own personal private opinion is that the human author was Barnabas, but that's just my opinion, I, just based on what, how I look at a few verses, but, and that's okay. But God wrote the book. But look at Hebrews 13. Because at the end of Hebrews 13, guess what we see? Verse 20. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you, what? Perfect in every good work to do His will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. What's the God of peace doing with that little flock? What's he doing? He's doing verse 21, isn't he? But how is he doing it? It's the edification process. Okay? And, and what's wonderful about it is this, this what they're going to learn in the Hebrew epistles, by the way, epistles, what are they going to learn? They're going to learn everything that's going to edify them. When he says that great shepherd, that's Psalms 23, by the way. 
They know it. Boom. They understand that. When he says the, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, wow, what a term. But what did he have to do? He had to shed his blood, and Hebrews has taught them that. See, if you look back up at verse 14, for here, we, for here have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. Wow. They're, they knew their hope wasn't there yet, but what are they looking for? The kingdom to come. That's why the Hebrews is a to-come book. By the way, John the Baptist is the one that coined the phrase, wrath to come. He's the one that coined the phrase, to come. Not Paul. Paul picks it up and uses it. Ages to come. But John did. Why? He looked at those religious leaders and he says, you're vipers, you're hypocrites, you're nothing. Who've told you to flee from the wrath? He knows what's coming. By the way, that wrath wasn't some silly stuff that you hear people talk about wrath today. He understood what that was. It's gonna, what's he going to do? Verse 21. Make you what? Perfect. Mature. By the way, I'll remind you, look over at 2 Timothy 3. We're going to do some of this next hour, so it's on my mind. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. But we'll do it here with Hebrews, so you understand this. Again, the God of peace, always a reference to the impact of the doctrinal edification process. Whether it's you and I, which is where it predominantly sits, or even in the Hebrew believers. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Notice, all Scripture is has a design to it, doesn't it? Doctrine, reproof, doctrine, here's what you ought to believe. Reproof, let's fix that, correct that bad behavior in light of the doctrine learned. Correction, let's fix the bad doctrine based on the doctrine learned. And that gets you the instruction in righteousness. So you've got to have a formula. You've got to have a doctrine plus reproof plus correction equals instruction in righteousness. And the goal of it is maturity. Okay? The Hebrew epistles are set up the same way. We do Romans, Ephesians, and so forth. Romans, but the Hebrew epistles are set up the same way because Hebrews, here's the doctrinal information concerning the cross and what it means for Israel. And then James comes in, bad behavior. If you say this and do that, you're no, no, no. <laughs> John, uh, uh, James, 1 Peter, correcting bad doctrine, the false apostles. 2 Peter, here's doctrine for the little flock moving forward. into. Uh, I'm, did I, John, yeah, 1 John. Here's, here's doctrine, those seven tests to get through. Jude, correction, see, reproof. And you can sit there and you can draw and, and rise out. Why? Because the God of peace has set up the Hebrew epistles to do what? Make them perfect, make them mature, get them ready, work them through. Okay? So come back to Romans. We got 20 minutes, and I am not letting you out that early. Uh-oh. So let's go back to Romans 15. So when you read the term, by the way, notice it's God of peace. The one passage in Corinthians was God of love and peace. 
if you will look over with me at, uh, let me find it here. I think it's 1 Corinthians 14. Now, that's okay. Uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 14.33. See how it says, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. That's not the God of peace. That, what's, that, that's the goal. God isn't, doesn't want you in confusion. What does he want you to have? Peace of mind of the doctrinal stability of what's going on. Okay? So you read that kind of stuff. You've got to let the context tell you, but that God of peace. So go back to Romans 15. Just remember, Paul ending the book here, and he says, Now, you got all that doctrine. Now, the God of peace be with you all. Amen. And again, I'm not going to let you out early. So we're going to introduce chapter 16 quickly. We'll do more of this next time. At the end, in, in Romans here, again, foundational book, chapter 16, I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church which is at Censoria. That's in Corinth, okay? Uh, Phoebe ends up uh, working. At, she's a wonderful lady. She's a business lady, okay? She, she's, uh, verse 2, that you receive her in the Lord as become as saints, and that you assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you. For she hath been a succor of many, a helper of many, and of myself also. You see, just a wonderful lady here. In chapter 16, Paul's going to conclude the book. The first 16 verses, Paul gives a personal salutation and an expression of love to people at Rome. He's never been there, but yet he knows these people. 27 individuals listed. He knows them. He's interacted with them. They don't have text. They don't have a cell phone. They don't have internet. They don't have email. They probably didn't have a lot of snail mail either. They had carrier pigeons and smoke signals. And no, I'm just kidding. I'm sure they had a mail system. But the thing is, is what did he have? He had daily interaction with these folks. In verses 17 to 20, Paul is going to issue a warning. You have 15 chapters of doctrine. This is what the adversary is going to do. You need to be ready. You need to be on board. You need to be paying attention. So he's going to issue a warning here concerning, uh, really for the saints at Rome, for their protection, but also for the protection of the doctrine. In verse 21 to 24, Paul gives a, a salutation from others to, who want to express uh, love toward those at Rome. So he includes them. And then in verse 25 to 27, Probably the toughest, the greatest three verses in the whole of the book. Uh, you know, I say that knowing the whole is a big. And Paul now is going to, but in those three verses, he commends the Romans to the doctrine. Okay? To the edification process. So we'll spend some time in that. The last three verses are full of rich doctrinal information, all based on the previous 15 chapters of doctrine. They don't stand alone. They stand as that summary, okay? Now, what Paul also does here at the end of Romans is he is establishing a pattern that fits in all of his epistles, 
where he is going to come in now and use an illustration, an example in real flesh and blood of the doctrine of the book working. Okay? We see them in verse 3. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus. All right? Now, there's 27 individuals listed. Okay? And I'm not going to butcher their names. But just real quick, look over with me. Look down there at uh, 11. Salute Herodian, my kinsman. Greet them that be of the household of Narcissus, which are in the Lord. Who are those people? Couldn't tell you. Now think about it, though. They made the pages of God's Word. There's no detail about them in Scripture. You run to the handbooks, you run to history, and you get a, eh, okay, maybe, maybe so. By the way, you see the guy down in verse uh, 13? Salute Rufus. <laughs> Rufus, Rufus's daddy is the guy that helped the Lord carry the cross. And Luke. It's interesting. Chosen in the Lord and his mother and mine. By the way, his mother and mine, that is not saying that Rufus's mom is Paul's mom. That's those terms of endearment. You know how he calls Timothy, my son? Okay? Beloved, brethren. There's an intimacy here that Paul has. I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. But there's an intimacy here that Paul has with these people. Why? Because they're saints. (laughs) They've never met him, and yet what are they doing? They're out there doing the work. So you've got 27 names. And he's got personal interest in them. Okay? Now, again, there's not a lot of information about these guys except for who? Priscilla and Aquila. All right? They're talked about in four different passages. We'll look at, we'll have to look at all that next time. Okay? And we'll look at them. But because of the list of the names, you know what this tells us about Paul? That he knew, he understood that God's word is being preached without his presence there, and it was accomplishing what it needed to be done. So this is a test of it testifies to the effectual working of the word of God in the lives of believers. Paul hasn't been there. Now, he knows Phoebe because she's out of Corinth. He's been there. She's a businesswoman. By the way, that, you know what that tells you, don't you? That tells you all of the stupidity that you hear in, in, in the world out there about women were dumb, stupid, and couldn't get out of their own way in the old days is a lie. She's a, by the way, Rahab, she was a seller of flax and purple and all. These brilliant woman here, he entrusts her with the epistle to go to Rome. The only, the original, by the way, went with Phoebe to Rome ahead of him. Because he says, I'm coming. I'm trying to get there, but I got to go do this, this, and this first. You know, so don't let people, Paul was a male chauvinist pig. Not really. The ladies co-worked and labored with him and did what, you know. But what it testifies is, is to God's word, preceding Paul, but yet, at the same token, 
effectually working in them that believe. By the way, that also tells you that the book of Romans is what Paul has been preaching since day one after the Acts 9 event. My gospel. Why? They heard it, they believed it, they're out doing it. So you got 27 individuals, not a lot of information about them other than Aquila and Priscilla, we'll talk about them. You've got at least three different groups at Rome. Look at verse 5. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Talking about Priscilla and Aquila. So there's one group. Verse 14. Salute those guys and the brethren which are with them. The end of verse 15. And all the saints which are with them. So you have... By the way, we'll, we'll also talk about the church in their house. Great movements out there about what, we're, what we do here today is an abomination. That by meeting in a church building, all we're doing is propagating the, the man and uh, the Roman Catholic oppression and the satanic attack. And they got all this stuff. And they use these passages about church in their house. Well, there's a reason why. And we'll talk about all that next time, okay? By the way, in Rome at the time, it's not a good thing to be called a Christian. So, the, so literally what you're really reading about is an underground church. There's what, three of them at least. Identifiable churches in their house go out. Here's the address. Here's where they're looking for. By the way, there are other churches of the Gentiles. Verse 1, Phoebe, a servant of the church, which is at Censoria. Verse 4, who hath for my life laid down their own necks unto whom... Only I give thanks, I'm sorry, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Verse 16, salute one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. Verse 23, Gaius my host and of the whole church saluteth you. It's interesting, you've got numbers of local manifestations of the body in a geographical location. They have an identifiable address, location. But what's fascinating to me is Paul is aware of them all. Of the church, of the churches, of the care of the churches daily. I could only imagine his pigeon carrier setup or mailbox, if you will. Okay? It's a phenomenal. So you have 27 individuals, you have at least three groups, but you have a number of churches that are there. Look at verse 10, the end of the verse. Salute them which are of Aristobulus, household. See, so there's a household there. Verse 11, salute Herodian, my kinsmen, greet them that be of the household of. So you've got a household there. So you got the whole family, see? You've got a number of women listed. You've got verse 1, a helper. You're going to, I'm sorry, verse 2, a sucker of many and of myself. They're helpers. They're out working. So even in the historical time of it not being good time in Rome to be called a Christian, there is a community of believers, actually communities, and it's critical to understand that as we conclude the book here. They're doing the work of the ministry under the threat of persecution, death, economic 
impact the whole bit. Claudius was not a nice guy. Nero was even worse. Claudius is said to die in, in 54 AD, and Nero's right behind him. And Rome was not a good thing. It's, by the way, it's interesting. We'll see this next time with Aquila and Priscilla. They were in Rome getting kicked out by Claudius because they were what? A Jew? But now they're back in Rome. Not a Jew. What are they? We're body of Christ. We're not Jews. We're members of the body. See, <laughs> uh, you know, a little play there. But yet, again, it still wasn't popular to be a Christian. They're under the gun. Okay? Now, look at verse 7. Salute Androcagus and Juna, my kinsmen, and my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Verse 11, salute Herodian, my kinsmen. There were Jews there, my kinsmen. They were in Christ before me, he says. And that, this is what triggers I, this, just the stupidity out there. We were talking Sunday night uh, after the, the, the after-meeting meeting. And it's amazing. When you read a verse like verse 7, to watch the immaturity pop up. What does maturity say? Well, man is either in Adam or in Christ, no matter where you're at. In Christ, in the little flock. Immaturity says, see, the church started before Paul. That's immaturity. Don't know. So we got to, you think about that. Great verse here. By the way, John 14. The Lord says, I'm in you, and you are where? In me. Talking to the 12, or 11, but that's a little flaw. So they're part of the believing remnant. That's who these guys are. They're part of the little flock. And you know what they've done? They didn't go down there and get negative with Paul. Actually, they went and supported Paul. That's what maturity does. Think about what these guys have learned. What did God do to them? Changed their program. He interrupted their program. So instead of getting mad and, oh, they go down there and they help Paul. They labor with him. So much so that notice their fellow prisoners. Isn't that interesting? These guys got records just like Paul does. But for what? What were they doing? They're pre preaching the kingdom gospel, their program, and they're getting hauled off into jail. Paul shows up. Boom, boom, boom. Now they're over here preaching Paul's God, and they're in jail too. You see, these guys didn't come in here and pitch a big fit. Oh, no, no bitterness, no, sorry, no attacking, but what? Let's go work with him. You see how these guys, no wonder they're mentioned in Scripture. They just show up who also were in Christ before me. They recognize the, chain, the change, and they help Paul out. Again, not bitterness, not angry. They're not fighting it out with Paul. By the way, what Jews fought with Paul? The unbelieving element did. The believing remnant didn't. You go read Acts 15. When Peter and them send the letters out, they send great numbers of Jewish believers a little flock with Paul to work with him. They recognize what God's doing. They didn't argue it, drop down, boom, you know. They went with him and supported him and helped him. 
So the chapter closes here with tremendous significance to see what was happening in the moment in Paul, in Rome, in the day historically. And he ends it by setting a precedent of all the doctrine, and let's put it in flesh and blood now. Now, here, he's going to use uh, Priscilla and Aquila. Most of the time, he uses himself, all right? But here, he's going to use Priscilla and Aquila because he's going to demonstrate to you and I what the, what the character of all these 27 listed was. What was their character? Because, again, you can't find a lot of information. Some of these guys you find nothing on except for what's here in Romans 16. But what was their character? What did they, what did, how, so he's going to use Priscilla and Aquila. Again, they're special to Paul, to his life, to his ministry, to all the churches of the Gentiles. But they are going to demonstrate the character that all of these mentioned had in the moment, in the time. So next time when we look at Priscilla and Aquila, that's what we're looking at. Yes, Priscilla and Aquila, yes, they hazarded their life. Yes, they did. Yes, they took care of Paul. It's Priscilla and Aquila until doctrine is on the table. Then it's Aquila and Priscilla. Why? Because it's the man's job to give the doctrine. When they go and deal with Apollos, it's Aquila and Priscilla. Here it's Priscilla and Aquila. Why? Because it's terms of endearment. Here, look, you know, these people are important. You go over in Timothy where they're mentioned, and it's Prisca. Prisca is her formal name. My name is Charles Richard. I go by Rick. It's a nickname. Priscilla is a nickname. Elizabeth. How many nicknames come off of that? Because see, Prisca, Priscilla means a young Prisca. That's what the, word, the name means. So as they're getting going in her younger days, she's Priscilla. But in Timothy, we're at the end of her life, older, she's what? She's Prisca. Or a little more formal. Why? Because she's a, a dear, older, mature lady. He's not just running over, follow that. So there's some formality there, and we'll see that. But the reason he focuses in on these two is because they really ultimately demonstrate the character that all the others mentioned here have, what they're doing, and uh, how that doctrine works in you when you get it in there and you believe it and you let it work how it works quickly. And we'll see all that next time with these guys, okay? All right, time to quit. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And above all, Lord, we just thank you for who we are in your son, for all that you've given to us in him. In your name we pray, amen.